If you got a Bible, if you turn to Deuteronomy 8, praise the Lord. Because I'm having a good day and I'm going to have a good night tonight. Amen. So I had talked uh, a few weeks ago. We're going to talk about going forward in the new year. And I'm going to kind of use Deuteronomy 8 as where we're going to get this message from. So uh, I'm going to talk about half of it tonight, half of what I want to say, and I think the other half next week, Lord willing. And I always change my mind. So I may and I may not, but I probably will. But let's read Deuteronomy 8 and we'll see what the Lord has to say to us tonight. Beginning in verse 1, Moses wrote, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him, for the Lord thy God brings thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains, and depths that spring up out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When you have eaten and are full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. And beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full and has built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, that then... Thine heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble you, and that he might prove you to do you good at thy latter end. And don't say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth, but you shall remember the Lord thy God, for he it is that gives thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if you do at all, forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall ye perish, because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Now let's bow our heads in prayer. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you'll meet with us here tonight. I just ask that you'll be with all of us, with our church here, and that we can hear your voice speaking to us tonight to give us direction for this year coming ahead and how we should live before you. And I thank you that you'll do that for us and just ask you to just impress this word upon our hearts in a special way tonight. And I thank you that you'll do that in Jesus' name. The title of the message is Remember dot dot dot. Your life depends on it. That's what we're going to be talking about. And uh, when uh, we got married, my wife told me her dad had a small plane that their family could fit in. And they would fly down to Florida in that plane and take vacations kind of at the spur of the moment. And one time she said they're flying down to Florida in her dad's plane and he's piloting that plane and suddenly, you know, the engine cuts out. And they're just descending rather quickly, rather rapidly. And she said she's sitting there thinking, I don't know if this is my last flight or my last day on earth. And her dad's up there fooling with the controls and flipping switches and suddenly he's like, Stupid me. I forgot to flip the switch for the alternate fuel tank. <laughs> and so after he did that, he was able to get the plane started up again and 
Here they made it safely to their destination, obviously, because she's sitting there and the mother of my four kids. But I was a little bit hairy. So the point I'm trying to make is there's some things we need to remember if we want God to fulfill Psalm 91 for us, like flipping the switch to the fuel tank. But there's other things that you can forget, and they really have minimal consequences. I mean, there's things that people forget all the time, like the top five or six 83% of people will forget names. That is top of the list of things people forget. Where something is, 60% of the people will forget that. Telephone numbers, of course, now everything's on a cell phone. It's not as critical to remember a telephone number. Words that were spoken, what was said is 49%, and faces is 42%. I can remember faces pretty good. Names are, I'm up there with the names, which is number one. So people forget names, faces, where they put their car keys, and recent conversations all the time. But what's the worst result you're going to get from that? It's really, it's just embarrassing at best, right? It's not a big deal. Life goes on. But there's other things, as I just said, if you forget and don't remember, like flipping the fuel switch, they can have major consequences, and they can keep you from moving on with your life. So here in Deuteronomy, Israel is getting ready to enter the promised land at this point. And that's what Deuteronomy is all about. It actually means the second law. And so Moses is getting ready to die, and he's telling Israel here, he's having this conversation with him, telling him what they need to remember to have a successful walk with the Lord as they move on. And what he's telling them, their physical and spiritual lives depend on them giving heed to what he's saying. It's vital to their existence in the future where they're going to remember what he's telling them. And that is a recurring theme in Deuteronomy, to remember. And so the people he's speaking to, they were either very young when the exodus happened or they were actually born in the wilderness. And so God didn't hold them responsible for the unbelief of their parents. But they experienced their results. And he's telling them, now, you need to remember, though, what you experienced as you wandered with your parents in the wilderness. Don't forget it. And he's saying, most importantly, as we read towards the end, when you get into that land and all these blessings come upon you, don't forget the Lord your God. Don't forget his deeds. Don't forget his commandments and also his loving care for you. That's what we just read. Because he's kept and provided for them all those years that they wandered in the wilderness, didn't he? So the ten miraculous plagues that God used to deliver Israel from Pharaoh, these people that he's writing to here, this younger generation, they had not seen them. They'd only heard about them from their parents. And the crossing of the Red Sea and the drowning of the Egyptians in that Red Sea, they hadn't seen that happen either. Yet God told them, don't forget don't forget what happened then. But they had experienced and seen God's faithful provision of manna, water, shade, protection, and supernatural guidance all those 40 years as they grew up in the wilderness. That they had seen firsthand, hadn't they? And God said, don't forget what your mothers and fathers told you about. My great power and deliverance out of Egypt. He says, don't forget that. But especially don't forget what you've experienced yourselves. He's telling them all of that is what will enable you to walk with me and experience my power in the future because they were the ones that were going to fulfill and experience what their parents never did. Their parents failed, didn't they? They failed in the reason God brought them out of Egypt. Never made it into that promised land. They died in that wilderness. And that's God's message for us in here today. So some in here have experienced God's power and deliverance in a real and tangible way. Some in here, many I would say, have tasted of the Lord's healing and true deliverance power and his presence in a way that others in here, some of the younger people, they don't know about. They've only heard about it, right? But God's word to all of us Tonight is we need to remember. That is the word. And so, just like with Israel, he tells them to remember what was told. Remember what was written, what Moses wrote. And he would say that to us. 
we first need to remember what God has given us in his word, right? The life of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels. We can't forget that. His compassion, his love, his power to deliver the oppressed, he's never changed. And that's how we can know that, right? Because of what is written down for us in the scriptures. And the second thing we need to remember is we move on into the book of Acts, the evidence of the early church of the presence of the risen Lord. And what did they experience there? They had a supernatural love for each other, didn't they? That was one mark. Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And the continued ministry of salvation to the lost, deliverance to the captives, healing, deliverance from demons, it went on. And the holiness that was part of the life of that church, that was a holy church. And so that is what is written for us to remember, right? And he also would say, hey, we need to remember the testimonies of all the saints down through the centuries that were part of the church. As the Holy Spirit, what? He didn't stop operating in the book of Acts, did he? He's been operating in the church. The gates of hell have never prevailed against the church. The Holy Spirit's operated all the way down through the centuries. Not just confined to the early church. Because there have been great revivals outpourings, healings, deliverances, and great numbers at times brought to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ all throughout church history. And as I said Sunday, the resurrected Lord Jesus has given evidence that he is the living God from Acts chapter 2 right on up to the present day. He has. It's never stopped. And I'll tell you, it does a lot of good for you to read books about church history and the different revivals that have taken place, some not that long ago, and how God's power came and was demonstrated. Because a lot, I mean, I've heard it, I've heard the reports, well, it doesn't seem like God's doing anything today. It doesn't seem like we can really trust the message we've heard. And I'm saying sometimes it does good to go back and say, oh, no, it's in the Bible first and foremost, but it's also been in church history. And I would say we also need to remember about the Lord, what he's done this present time, even in this church right here. I would say remember the testimonies that we've had every week, as it's been said, through the years since, did the church begin in 81 or earlier than that? Around 81, since 1981, the testimonies we've had. Some great answers to prayers. I mean, miraculous things. I came here in 84. Miraculous things that I've seen and heard that have happened. And times of worship like Brother Hamilton used to talk about. That was one thing that attracted my wife and I here is the, the, the worship that took place and the presence of God that was here. And you had multiple people dancing and actually running around our church. There was great excitement. People were still excited about being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were still excited about coming and hearing the word preached. They were. That's the way things were. And we can't forget that. God was moving in lives as people trusted him. That was the message we've heard. It's never gotten old, has it? I hope not. It really hasn't. And so I would say we shouldn't forget that. We need to remember that. And for those who haven't experienced in their lives much of the presence and power of God, I would say this like God would say to this younger generation in Israel that hadn't experienced that great deliverance out of Egypt, hadn't seen the Red Sea part. Better things were ahead for them. When, but he told them, he said, look, I provided you food and shelter, children and clothing. And we read in chapter 8 there, verse 4, he says, thy raiment, your clothes, wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. He's saying, you need to take that as a sign. Has God not provided for you? So you haven't seen a quote-unquote miracle, but has God not provided for you in a lot of different ways? And does your salvation mean nothing? I mean, you have to know what, that you experienced something then. You can't be dead and brought to life and not know that God did something for you. If he did nothing else, that is something to praise him for and to remember. And when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit... It should have a significant impact on when you read that Bible. Because if you read the Bible before and you read it after you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is not the same book. It may be the same book, but it is not the same book, believe me. <laughs> and that's what God has done. He says, don't forget. And don't forget, he says, to be thankful. You've been saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He's led you all these years by his spirit, just like the Israelites. So those young people, they knew that. They might not have seen the mighty things, but they were still seeing that cloudy pillar by day and that fire by night, which is what the Holy Spirit inside of us is. And so if you're saved in here and have the Holy Spirit, you should at least have that much, that much to remember and to be thankful for. And God would say to all of us in this church, because... I don't like it to just talk to the young people like they're the only ones that are still in the game. We're all still in the game, are we not? Young and old alike. I mean, I haven't taken my name out of the hat yet. I'm not ready for retirement yet. And so I would say that God would say to all of us, like the children of Israel, I am about, as we read, read to bring you into a good land. I really believe that. Whether you do or not, I do. A land flowing with everything he's promised in his word. Heightened. So I'm not saying we haven't experienced anything, but when I read accounts of revivals that have taken place through the church, things people have experienced, and the way God has manifested himself, I'm thinking we haven't experienced anything. I think I haven't experienced anything. I just read the life of a man that was one of the great revival preachers that a lot of people haven't heard of over in England at the time of George Whitfield, back in the days of George Whitfield and John Wesley. And this man had an encounter with the Lord. After, shortly after he got saved, he's in this tower praying and reading his Bible, which we'll talk about. And God visited that man in a way that he was overwhelmed with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to the point he didn't get over it. And he had that assurance as he went forth and was persecuted in his preaching. People thought he was crazy, but it was like the love of God constrained him. And it lasted for four years. In a heightened way, he said, I could just not get over that. And I mean, multitudes were saved as a result of that man. I'm saying, have we experienced even a little bit of what God has for us? I don't think so. I really don't. And so here's the thing. We can see now clearly, can't we, that the devil is pouring out his wrath and he is coming into this world with a flood. But if you read church history, whenever that has happened, God has always raised up a standard against it and brought revival to his people. So do we want to be part of that or not? I mean, we can be. Because it's a dark age coming in here, and we can be the light that is shining in this world that we live in, in this community that we live in. Because apparently God's got people he wants to save in this community because that is why we're here. And he's going to deliver. And I'd say that is something, if you're not already, that we need to be praying for. So look, Acts 2, when they pray for that baptism, that's not limited to just then or once you speak in tongues and say a few words to seek God for an outpouring. That is something we continually need to do. We continually need an outpouring, do we not? I mean, we all continually need a refreshing. And that's what the future, I think, holds for this church, an outpouring of the Lord. If. If we're careful to remember what God tells us. That's what he told Israel. Good days are ahead of you if you remember. If we remember as we go forward as he warns us and as he warned Israel, we can't forget him, can we? We've got to remember the Lord and he's got to be number one in our lives. To remember his commands, be thankful for his provision. And then... He'll be with us. He won't cause us to perish. Because look at verse again, 19 and 20 again. It shall be if you do forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. God says, I testify against you this day that you will surely perish. As the nations which the Lord's destroyed before your face, so shall you perish because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord thy God. So that was a warning to Israel. But listen, that group that went in with Joshua, they were faithful. And they were. Up through the beginning of Judges. The whole time they went in there, that crowd, that generation was a faithful generation, and God was with them and gave them the walls of Jericho fell flat. The Jordan River parted in front of them. I mean, he performed miracles in their lives. So it can happen, can it? It happened with them. They were faithful, and God fulfilled his word to them and his promise, and they heeded the warning, and so can we. Amen? He really can. So what I want to talk about tonight is What's the first thing God tells them through Moses to remember? Look in verse 1. He says, All the commandments which I command thee this day you shall observe to do. Why? That you may live 
and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And look down in verses 5 and 6. And you shall also consider in thine heart. Remember that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord thy God chastens you. Look at verse 6. Therefore, because of that, what does he say? You shall keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. So listen, I know we hear this a lot, but we need to hear it again. Keeping God's commands is like remembering to flip that switch on the fuel tank, right? Our lives depend on it. Isn't that what he just said in verse 1? To remember his commands to do them that you may live. Because a lot of times we take grace and mercy for granted way too many times. And this year, we need, I believe, to be careful to do what we know to do. There's one time a few years back, I have just never forgotten that a minister that came here as a guest speaker, I believe it was Brother Guthrie, said something that I thought there was a lot of wisdom in. And he said this, look, God, and this is true, he's probably dealing with everyone in here about one or two things at this present time. He's probably not dealing with you about the whole Bible. You know, like, I've got to keep the whole Bible and I'm not doing it. No, he, more than likely, he's dealing with you about one or two things, one or two issues he's speaking to you about to get right. And I would say get alone with him then and deal with whatever that is because everybody's got something, and then he'll bring the next thing around. He's always going to be dealing with something, as we've heard Brother Hamilton faithfully told us that, and he's right. So maybe for you, maybe it's an anger issue you have that he's dealing with you about. Well, then get in the Word and deal with it. Find out how you can deal with it. I would suggest get into the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of wisdom there in Proverbs for people that have anger issues. And maybe he's dealing with you about how much you pray or don't pray. Maybe that's the issue. Putting the Lord first in all you do. Maybe it's relationships, gossip, unforgiveness. You're not willing to deal with that. And listen, until you do, you can't move on. You can't move into that land that he's holding in front of us. Raising your children properly, you're neglecting them, they're not really raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord or whatever it is. But we're talking about we're heading in. It's still early in January, early enough. We're heading into a new year. And I'm saying the challenges, I believe we're going to have new challenges. Great challenges for some people coming ahead and new experiences with the Lord. And it's imperative that we put getting in the Word Spending time in that word and obeying what we read as our top priority. I'm saying Moses in Deuteronomy is talking to them right before they're going in that promised land. And I want us to look, kind of skip through the book of Deuteronomy, starting in chapter 4, if you would turn back there and see how many times God emphasizes them hearing and doing the word. So look in Deuteronomy 4, beginning in verse 1. And he says this, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that you may live, he says it again, and go in and possess the land which the Lord, your, the Lord God of your fathers gives you. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither though shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor, by all the men that followed Baal Peor. The Lord thy God has destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you to this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes, judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. I mean, how many times does he have to say it? <laughs> Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear of all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is wise and an understanding people. For what nation is there so great who has God so near unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? For what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? He's saying, 
The commandments, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later on, they're not something that are a problem. No, no, no. A people that will live and obey and walk in God's commandments will have the wonder of the world around them. Where did they get this wisdom from this God, this wisdom and understanding to walk in this law? Where did they get this great law from? We don't have anything like that. Look over in chapter 5, beginning in, in just verse 1, we'll read there. But he says the same thing again. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep them and do them. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that you might fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. That's three straight chapters, and we'll find it again in the next chapter, chapter 7. Now, he's wearing this out, you could say, but he's not, because that's how I'm, I'm reading all this to show you it must be vital to spend this much time on it. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. You shall therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore, it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercies which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep and the land which he swore unto thy fathers to give thee. You will be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you know, upon you, but he'll lay them upon all them that hate you. What a promise. But how many times did he say, Keep my commandments and do them repeatedly, didn't he? If you don't get anything else, I say, just get that. How important and critical it is that we hear and do God's commandments. You do that, he said, you'll be blessed in possessions, bearing children, who promises to take all sickness away from you, and that is the old covenant. It's better in the new. We've got better promises, the Bible says. So five times in Deuteronomy, God tells Israel, and maybe more, that's just the five we just looked at, that keeping his commandments to do that, the people that do that is wisdom, understanding, healing, life, and a way to walk and know the love of God. That's the benefits of that, right? Well, listen, a lot of people, when they hear admonitions like we're getting now to keep God's commandments, you know what comes into their mind? They think of life as a monk. A Catholic monk living on stale bread and water, praying for hours, and the only thing you do is sit around and read your Bible and chant Gregorian hymns. And that's their idea of keeping God's commandments. It's like, oh, man, <laughs> I guess. It just doesn't seem like something that makes you want to throw your Bible in the air and go out and do it, does it? Honestly. I'll be honest for you. No, it doesn't, okay? But it just so happens, I saw a quote this morning. There's one blog that I, a Christian guy has his blog that I'll check it out every day because he usually has something worth reading in it. And he had this at the bottom, which I thought was pretty timely for my message tonight. And I thought it was good. And here's what it was. This guy said, God's commands are not designed to rob you of life or to plunder your freedom, but to graciously protect you from harm. Amen. And that's another way of saying what John says in 1 John, for this is the love of God. This is how we show or know that we love God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, the King James says, are not grievous. 
Now that Greek word grievous means heavy in weight. So the idea being you got this heavy weight. He's saying his commandments is not like some heavy weight you're having to drag around that you can't, you wish you could just throw it off your back. Like the burden that Christian carried in Pilgrim's Progress. He's saying God's commandments aren't like that. They're not like some heavy weight tied to your ankle you got to drag through life wishing it could be some other way, but I'm going to make it in regardless. <laughs> That's not the way it is. But it's the love of God. Listen, there was a man who was a tyrant that insisted his wife arise early in the morning to prepare his breakfast every day. And he was a very demanding husband with the way he told her to keep the house. He required a strict accounting of any money she spent on groceries, clothes for the children, all of that. He just very exacting, a tyrant with this woman. And then he died. And later she married a man, this woman did, who was totally the opposite of the first man she married. He was loving, tender, considerate, unselfish. And one day she was going through some of the effects of her first husband, and she found a list of all the things he required her to do every day. And then to her amazement, she realized she was doing all of the same things for her present husband, but he didn't require her to do any of it. She was doing them voluntarily because she loved him. All the difference in the world, right? And so we have to know, we do, we have to be grounded in the fact that God loves us and will do anything for us and has done anything for us to the point of the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, going to the ultimate death on our behalf. We've got to know and experience, and if you haven't, you need to pray for God to show you that love. We could all know it in a greater measure. So God, we have to know he loves us, and he's asking us to keep his commandments because we love him back. And that's why Jesus says, he that has my commandments and keeps them, does them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, he says, and I will manifest myself to him. To the obedient Christian that does his commandments out of love, Jesus says, I'll manifest myself to you. Manifest, the word we say, we get an answer to prayer, it's manifested to our sight. We can see it. We can experience it. And that's where it's at. It's not a heavy chain. And the reason we will do that, why? It's because of the new birth. God has changed our heart in the new birth, hasn't he? He should have. And as a result, we should have our eyes opened. And you read about David talking about the law. who He'd experienced the new birth. And he says, hey, I love thy law. It wasn't a burden to David. And we should see that the law is, as Paul said, holy, just, and good. God's commands are holy, just, and good. They're the right things to do and good. They promote, don't they, love to others and God? And as the man said, they graciously, if we follow him, protect us from harm. But here's the thing. What young, healthy, for example, energetic, non-Christian wants to hear, I'm talking about a non-Christian, wants to hear Jesus' warning in Matthew 5 not to look with lust on a woman. How many do you think? I will tell you, none. Big fat zero want to hear that command and want to obey that command. They look, all look, and I've heard them back, back in the day. I remember one time listening to this Jewish talk show host talking about Matthew 5 and how that is ludicrous that anyone would be able to live that. No one could live that, he says. That's not even normal. And that's the way most unregenerate people would look at that, like it's an unnatural burden, a heavy weight, as John said, to obey that commandment. And if they thought that's what they had to do to be saved, they, would, they could care less. They'd say that's just an unreasonable demand that God has put on us. And they couldn't keep it anyways, ever, could they? But I would say any young man in here that has been born again and filled with the Spirit, they not only can keep that command, but should be doing it out of a holy fear and love for God. And let me tell you, I didn't grow up a Christian. I've walked on both sides of the track. In my unregenerate days, I would have sided right along with them. Man, that's totally unreasonable and seems abnormal to me, right? But you get on the other side of the track and walk in the fear of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're like, oh, no, I was in total bondage on that other side and didn't even realize it. I was under a cruel taskmaster. 
A true freedom is being delivered from the lust of the world, isn't it? And obeying his commands, and that is not grievous. It's not a burden. It's actually just the opposite of that. It's freedom, isn't it? I'm telling you, it's a cruel taskmaster because we go into prison and a high percentage of those guys in there are in there because they are sex addicts. They can't get away from it. They can't find freedom. Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they are locked in. And they can do their programs all they want to, and they have no help. It's just like these heroin guys here in Shelbyville. There is only one true freedom, and that is the power of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's a spirit that they need deliverance from, and that's the gospel we have to preach. And so what's true for lust as far as obeying God's command is true for anger, pride, jealousy, unforgiveness, gossip, backbiting, doubt, and fear. They're all things that God commands us to give up burdens is doubt not a burden and fear not a burden it is? They're things God wants to deliver his children from. And we need to remember that and remember to obey him. And so if you would, turn back to Numbers. So we're talking about remembering God's commands. Turn back to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers 15 and verse 37. And it says there, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations and that they put them upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which you used to go a whoring that you may remember and do all the commandments and be holy unto the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So he commands the Israelites there to make fringes, or really a better word would be tassels, to hang from the four corners of these upper garments. And modern Jews will still wear these tassels to this day. They'll wear them on prayer shawls, or I've seen pictures of them walking down the streets of Israel with them on, these tassels, because they're still, Orthodox Jews are still under the law. They're just twisted cords of thread that had one thread of blue in them, and they would hang down from their garments. So back then, in those ancient days, nobility were the ones that wore tassels. Kings and princes wore tassels, and yet... God had everyone that was part of the nation of Israel wore these tassels on their clothes, their outer garment, that all could see. Every person, man and woman, not just the nobility. They're wearing with that blue a royal robe, so to, so to speak. And that was quite a sign to surrounding nations that would observe them to see that. So that blue thread was a reminder of the blue robes that the priests wore. A reminder that all of Israel, like the priest, is what it stood for, were meant to serve God. All of them were. The tassels worn by the Jews were a sign that they were a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, as we hear in 1 Peter, right? The song we sing, that was all of Israel, and that's us today. A people that were set apart. Those tassels were to remind them they were a people set apart to serve God and to do his commands. So even Jesus, he obeyed the law. He obeyed everything written in that law perfectly. Do you know even he had those tassels on his garments? Because when it talks about the woman with the issue of blood, that is what she went up and touched. It talks about the hem. The word really should be tassels. He had tassels. They all did. A pious Jew would have had the tassels. And so he rebukes the Pharisees. There's nothing wrong with those. God had that for a purpose. He rebukes the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 5 because they didn't just have regular tassels. They made sure theirs were longer than everybody else. So you could see how holy and pious and how they kept the commands of God. And that's why Jesus got on their case. But what was the purpose of these tassels on the Jewish clothing? Look at verse 39 again. He said, it shall be to you for a fringe, a tassel, that you may look upon it. And when they looked upon it, what were they supposed to do? Remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. So 
So listen, those tassels were everywhere in the land of Israel. Everybody's wearing them. You didn't only see your own. You saw tassels on everybody around you. And it was supposed to be a constant reminder. They couldn't get away from it. Could they? That they are supposed to be doing the commandments of the Lord, remembering them to do them and keep them. And he says they're, they're also to know that they're a holy people, a royal priesthood to the Lord God. That's what those tassels reminded them of. And the key word for them tonight is what? What's the key word? Remember, isn't it? And he tells them that twice in verse 39. He tells them to remember in verse 40, that you may remember and do all my commandments and be what? Holy unto your Lord. Remembering what God said. Don't do what's in your heart and in your eyes, what you're lusting after. Those tassels were to be, hey, when you get those thoughts, oh, no, wait, I see that tassel. Ah, I'm not supposed to do that. I remember God said, uh-uh, don't go after her. She's not one of the children of Israel. You can't marry her or whatever it was. So they weren't designed, were they, those tassels, to rob them of life, as we said, or plunder their freedom, but to graciously protect them from harm. They really were, and we'll see that. Because the harm God is graciously protecting us from at times is what? It's his own judgment. Because you look at the context of this, go back, we're, we read verses 37 to 41. Look at verse 27, beginning in verse 27. Look what happened before he had him put those tassels on. Verse 27, it says, And if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-go to the first year for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sins ignorantly when he sins by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him that sins through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourns among them. But look at verse 30. But the soul that does ought presumptuously with a high hand, whether he's born in the land or a stranger, that same one reproaches the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord, and has broken his commandment, that soul shall utterly be cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. And then God gives them a living example of what that means. Verse 32. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in ward, because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp, and stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. So God has Moses, hey, he has him write that a soul that presumptuously sins against the Lord should be cut off from the people. And as we said, he gives a living illustration then of that man that picked up sticks in blatant violation of the Sabbath commandment. And Moses is like, I don't know what to do with this guy. I just know he's going to get cut off. And so they held him, put him in ward, put him in custody. And God says, this is what's going to happen when he spoke. That man is going to be stoned. He's going to get justice, not mercy. It's an example to the rest of the nation. And here's what we need to understand from that. God's holiness is never to be taken lightly. And I'm afraid we take his holiness way too lightly and think everything's mercy and grace. And we have examples like this and others in the Bible because God says, I delight to show mercy, but you're not going to presume upon me. And that Sabbath man found out that you better not take God's holiness lightly. And Achan found that out, didn't he, when they got in that land? Not only for him, but he lost his entire family, ended up under a pile of rocks because he took God's holiness and his commands lightly. And what about Uzzah? He didn't think he was doing it. He reached out his hand and touched the ark of God. Don't do that. It's very clear in the law, you don't touch that ark. Only the priests were, they couldn't even touch it. They had rings to put those staves through. And so God holds his people 
to a higher standard than the Philistines. And Uzzah died. And it said David feared the Lord. And he was angry. He's fearing the Lord. And what did David do? What we should do when something doesn't go right for us because we violated his all. David got back in the word. And he said, what did I do wrong? And he saw. And the next time that ark came in there, he had it done the right way with the priest. And there were no problems. And there was great rejoicing. <laughs> but you can't take God's holiness lightly. And we have a New Testament example of that. Good old Ananias and Sapphira took his holiness lightly. And guess what? They found it out when they tested the Holy Spirit that God says, okay, I'm using you two as an example for the benefit of all these others. And all of these people were judged. They got justice, not mercy. And not because God was being cruel. But what was he doing? He took all of these people and used them as examples for the rest of the people to create a godly fear. As he did not treat them harshly or unkindly. They just got strict justice. And it seems harsh to us what he did in our Western minds, but it wasn't. Because we're a nation that will give murderers parole in months. And I'm in that prison scratching my head. What's going on here? But what we need to see, though, is despite that, the reason we have this blue ribbon and these tassels is because God doesn't delight in judgment. He never does. And Isaiah, when he had to bring judgment on his people, God said this. He said, it is his strange work, Isaiah said of the Lord. It's his strange work to judge his own people. And his strange act is what it says. That's Isaiah 28, 21. And God says in Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn and live. So he never delights in judging people. But sometimes in his wisdom and for the sake of the multitude, he has used individuals and a couple, in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, as examples. Because you read after Ananias and Sapphira that great fear fell on the church and the surrounding area. And at first it says nobody would join the church. But then it goes on to say, but yet multitudes did. The multitudes that were serious, the ones that weren't serious about this God that's not playing games. They wouldn't join the church is what, what you're getting out of that, right? And so God has to keep the purity of his church and his people. Well, listen, as a result, though, of having to judge that man picking up sticks, God in his love and graciousness instructs Moses. That's what we had to have the whole nation of Israel wear these special tassels dangling down that they could all see from their clothes to remind them that we are a special people. And don't forget that, a royal priesthood. That's a privilege we have. And to help them remember, as we read, to do all the commandments of the Lord. Israel was to know that they were a holy people, just like we are. Are we not? Because look at verse 40 there. He says that you may remember, Numbers 15, 40, that you have those tassels on there and look at them, that you may remember, Israel, and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. For he says, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. But listen, he's not going to change. He's not going to compromise his holiness to fit our standards. Right? We've got to conform to him. And he's made a way. So listen, we in the New Testament, like we're not, we're not required to wear tassels. Has anybody got tassels on tonight? I don't think so, right? And to keep the law and all that. So how has he provided for us to remember his commandments and do them? Because he has provided. And the first thing he's done is in the new covenant with the new birth. So for the Jews of the Old Testament, the law was what? It was external, wasn't it? Written in a book. But what does he say for us? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. This is in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. After those days, saith the Lord, he says, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And that's a promise for us. We've entered into Israel's covenant there. We've been grafted into that vine. And so if you've been born again and have the Holy Spirit, he's written that law in your hearts to remind you. So we don't have to have somebody teach us. It's actually written in our hearts. 
engraved in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we also have another way. We don't have tassels, but we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, don't we? To remind us. Because it says in John 14, Jesus said, The Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. What did he say about the Holy Spirit that we have? He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. And let me ask you, how many times during the day does the Holy Spirit check you before you get ready to say something? Wait a minute. You're going to be violating something the Lord told you not to do if you do that. Doesn't that happen? Happens, happens to me. Or bring a verse to your mind to convict you or maybe to encourage you. Or bring a verse to your mind when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, a verse you hadn't thought about for a long time. But the Holy Spirit there brings that up and enables you to remember it, to share it, just the, right, just the right moment. That's how he does it. And so how else does God remind us of his commandments to do them? We're doing it right now through regular preaching and teaching of the word. So we meet here twice a week, twice a week, and I don't think I've brought forth any new revelations, thank God. Right? So we're not hearing new revelation. All we're doing is what? Just opening up the word of God. Opening up our tassels, so to speak, and reminding ourselves by hearing it preached again of what God expects of us. But listen, when you get away from hearing teaching, and I've seen a lot of people that have left groups like ours, and they get either into some other church or just away from going to church at all, and all of a sudden it's like they were never taught anything by the way they live and the things they watch, and the places they go, and what they think is funny. And that's what happens. Sometimes it's like, well, yeah, everything, everything you said tonight, it's just, I've heard this a million times. Yeah, well, it's good. It'll keep you from forgetting it. Right? It's just a reminder. Because what happens then is you get away from the Word, or you get into a church that's more program-based and emotional-based and Word-based, and then you start getting influenced more by the world than the Word. Because, listen, I've seen this happen. People that spend all of their time, they don't spend much time in the Word, but they spend a lot of time watching the news, Fox News, listening to Rush Limbaugh. Your attitude towards government officials becomes unbiblical. I've seen it happen. And the teaching of the Bible, you just don't like that anymore. And you don't even realize it. Because, listen, here's the thing. The president... In certain political parties, they may do things that are unbiblical and not right. That's not the point. But here's the problem. The conservatives of the world and most Christians have no problem openly criticizing and speaking evil of the current president of the United States. Because I've heard it all. I've been around it. Hopefully it's not in here. Have no problem criticizing him because they justify it by, well, look, look what all's going on. Look what he's promoting, da-da-da-da-da. It's not a question of whether what he's promoting is right or wrong according to the Bible. Because listen to this. So here's what I'm saying. We need to keep the word before us. 2 Peter 2 says this, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, but chiefly... Them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, and he's talking about those that will speak evil of dignities. He said, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Now that ought to put a big check on everybody in this room the next time we get ready to talk about President Obama. Right? It really should. I mean, I, don't, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be, fall into that category. But yet there's people that will rail against him, call him names, mock him. And that's what happens when you get away from hearing and reading the word. You forget and you get caught up with what the world's opinions of how things ought to be. And all of the Christianity in America, for the most part, is a waste. So just because something's Christian or this person is a Christian whatever, 
doesn't mean you follow what they say. Our guide is the Bible, is it not? It is the Bible. But we got to remember what we've been taught faithfully all these years, our attitude towards the government. What do we do? We pray for our leaders, even the ones we disagree with. Because how many times? It's in Romans 13, 2 Peter. That's what it says for us to do, to pray for them and obey them, even if we disagree with them. That's what the Bible says. It's not my opinion. I just read you 2 Peter 2, 9 to 12. Read it later if you want to read it again. So you're not disobeying me. I don't care if you think I'm an idiot for what I just said or you want to disagree with me. The Lord's the one you'll have the argument with in the day, not me. I'm not your be anybody's judge on that. But the last way I want to talk about that he brings his word before us to remind us that we can do it is just, and this I really want to emphasize, the regular reading of the word privately as individuals. And what I want us to see, and I'll tell you, I had those things and several people came up and got them. We need to see that reading the Bible in a systematic way, everyone in this room that calls themselves a Christian, all the way through the Bible on a consistent basis, doing that, knowing that word is your life. Didn't we read that back in Deuteronomy? What did he say in verse 1? All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do that you may live. It's our life to know that word and obey it. And he may make thee to know that man does not live. This is in verse 3 of chapter 8 that we read initially. That he might make thee to know that man, us, does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. He's saying, hey, the word of God is more important than our breakfast or lunch or dinner if it comes down to that. Hearing and obeying the word of the Lord. That's what Jesus told the devil in the wilderness when he was tempted, didn't he? That's what he said. I'm not commanding those stones, as hungry as I am, to be made bread until God gives me the green light to do it. Because I live by what he says in obedience to him. I don't care how hungry I am, devil. That's what he told him. Man doesn't live by this bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So do we truly, I'm saying all of us, do we truly understand that the words contained in the Bible, they are just not man-inspired words, but words that proceed from God's mouth to us. Words, the Bible says, that are breathed out by the living God. That's what the Bible is. So we hear them and do them and we live. That's what we read. Hebrews says the word of God, this is what? It's alive and powerful. And Jesus told him this in John 6. He says, the words I speak unto you that are written in those gospels, that are written through the whole word of God. He says, they are spirit and those words are life. They're life to us. What I would like us to all understand is what George Mueller came to understand in his life. And that is, we need to make reading this book, this actual book ourselves, a priority over reading other books about the Bible, even if they contain Bible verses. As George Mueller, he says he spent the first four years of his Christian life, he said, I spent almost the entire time reading. They were religious books, and they weren't bad books, but they were books that other people wrote telling him about the Bible and not the Bible itself. He said, I almost totally neglected reading the Bible. And you know what he said? He goes, I realized, looking back, that my growth was stunted. His Christian growth was stunted. He said, I was just a spiritual infant. Because I was living off other man's words and not the living word that God had given him. And then he confessed, when he started making it a point, he said he would take his Bible and he took the Holy Spirit who inspired these words as his teacher and would read it every day and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show him what to know, what to obey, how to apply this word to his life, how to put it all together. And he said he found that in doing that for just a few weeks or months, he learned more than the entire four years put together. And I'm saying that's what will happen. Get you on some kind of a Bible program. 15 minutes, literally 12 minutes a day of reading your Bible will get you through the, this is reading it like I just read it, a preacher's speed. It will get you through the entire Bible easily in a year. A George Mueller would read his Bible, and he was a busy man, 
ran like four or five orphanages, was responsible for those. He'd read his Bible through four or five times a year. And you can do it. And boy, will you benefit from it. The other day, just yesterday, I had some things I needed answers on. And I'm just going through my Bible reading, and it's like God opened up two different places in his word, answered both things as clear as could happen. I mean, I'm like, praise the Lord. That's what he'll do for you. You got problems in your life, or maybe there's something you're doing you're not aware of, like criticizing the government, but reading through Second Peter, you realize, oh, man, I better stop that. God, forgive me. But if you never read your Bible, guess what? You won't get that. Here's the thing. We can only cover so much standing up here teaching or whatever you want to say. How much of the Bible have we actually read tonight? I'm saying it's not going to cut it. You need to be reading the Bible yourself to get the full picture and to, to know when that man said that, that, there is something he said that just doesn't sit with me well because I've been reading my Bible regularly. Right? How is she going to know error? I'm only quoting a few verses. We've got to read it, though, with the intention that we're going to remember and do it. And Charles Spurgeon said this. I really like this. He says, a Bible that is falling apart is usually owned by someone who isn't. I thought that was good. But listen, when you do that, when you take that time in the morning, the evening, whenever it is during your lunch break, and set that apart and get in that word, God will speak to you. He will. He'll answer questions you have. He'll give you directions on what to do, tell you what to repent of, how to walk in holiness, and he'll reveal himself to you in his word and love. Now, he can speak to us, too, in other ways, can he, to give us direction. He can speak to our hearts and want you to do this or whatever. God does that, too, doesn't he? But I'll tell you what, how do you know that that's not some other spirit giving you this guidance, asking you to do something that may be in violation of his word? You have to know that word. If you're totally spirit-led by everything, you're opening yourself up to problems. So it's got to be both. We don't want to just be the dry word. We want to be both, knowing that word and being willing to be led by the Spirit, knowing the voice of the Lord. He's, he's, I can tell it's him prompting me to do this because it's the same one that just opened that word. I can tell. It's the same Holy Spirit. And what he's asking me to do, I know that's not in violation of his word. I'm praying about it. That's how God will work in our lives. That's the way he needs to work. So what I'm saying tonight is we need to remember in the months and the year ahead of us that we don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God, don't we? And obeying his word. And so we need to have, so to speak, those spiritual tassels in our life and not get away from them and be thankful that we have them. And brothers and sisters, I don't want to leave this out because this is just as important. Let's speak the word to us. I've learned a lot of things, even in prison. Some of those guys there have shared stuff and I'll be like, man, that is really good. Or that is really convicting. I'm convicted that you're convicted for five years and sharing that with me and I'm out there supposed to be a minister and that was a good thing you just said. It can come from anywhere, can it? God can bring us his word. But listen, we need to remember, like I said, they are not, his commands are not a heavy weight to be born, but a delight. If we know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, Maybe we need to pray a little bit more for a revelation of that so we can delight to do his commandments. We're willing to take his yoke upon us. I just say as a church, everyone in here, I just encourage you to get uh, some kind of thing where I am going to read through my Bible. And if you've got to skip some of the names, just go on and skip them, but just don't stop. Because what happens is people get to certain sections and they're like, ah, and you get sidetracked. Or you miss a day, just pick it up the next day, read twice as much. It's no big deal. Or whatever, right? I want to close with this quote by a very godly man. His name was Samuel Chadwick. Very godly minister. And, and here's what he said. He said, I have guided my life by the Bible for more than 60 years. He wrote this at the end of his life. He says, and I tell you, there is no book like it. It is a miracle of literature, a perennial spring of wisdom, a wonder of surprises, a revelation of mystery, an infallible guide to our conduct, an unspeakable source of comfort. That's what he said the Bible is to him after 60 years. He says, pay no attention to people who discredit it, for I tell you that they speak without knowledge. It is the word of God itself. 
study it according to its own direction, live by its principles, believe its message, and follow its precepts. No man is uneducated who knows the Bible. And no one is wise who is ignorant of its teachings. Amen? Amen. We'll close with that. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that this coming year that you help all of us here to remember that you'll put spiritual tassels in front of our eyes and ways to, that you'll know to remind us to keep your commandments, Lord, and do them so that we may live and that we may know your blessing, your power, and your presence in our lives. And I just ask, Lord, that you'll do that because we're looking for an outpouring of your presence in this church, Lord. We have so many needs spiritually and physically, just so many needs, Lord, that we need you. And I just ask that you'll do that for all of us and that you'll just bless us in these days ahead and you'll make us a people of your word that love your word. I just ask you'll do that for all of us here. Do that for our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.